I just have to say, I'm so glad to be able to speak in January because I believe Januarys are very special. You know, the Lord is a God who walks in our time as well. And I believe that Januarys are a time to make changes. That he uses it just, be, you know, because our culture looks at it as a time to make life-changing adjustments. And, you know, I've just felt in the spirit as I've been praying these weeks, as I've begun to prepare for this word today, that today is a God-ordained opportunity that he's going to do something. I believe he did something in first service. He's going to do something here. He's going to do something in Spanish service because it is our time and he wants to accomplish it. And you know, it's exciting because we've set this time aside in fasting. And you know, one thing I like to do when I'm fasting is read Isaiah 58, which really speaks about the power in fasting that things begin to break. And I just feel in the spirit that things are going to break today. Strongholds are going to break. And so, you know, when I prepare a message, titles are really important to me because I believe that you know, when I title it, it has to be prophetic. It has to be something that I believe I hear the Spirit saying to the church. And so I wait on him, you know, and I say, Lord, what, what should we call this thing? And he spoke to me, and I, I'm calling this word today, I did it on purpose. And, you know, it's funny, I told the media team, I said, when you put the title up there, I want it with the exclamation point. Because we have got to do our purpose on purpose in this hour. It's not something that's just weak and, you know, oh, maybe I'll just fall. It'll fall into place. It'll just kind of, doors will open and it'll all happen. No. The Lord wants us to understand in this season and really every season that we have to do it, our purpose, on purpose. Of course, we need to know what our purpose is. You know, that's step one, right? But when we know our God-given purpose, if we're going to see it come to pass, we've got to determine it in our hearts. We have to do it on purpose. And we're going to be looking at that today. I believe God is going to speak a word into your hearts today that you're going to be armed for the times ahead. You know, I loved the worship, the prophetic worship, and both in first and second service. It was a little bit different in each, but I, you know, in first service, uh, Danielle began to prophesy that we're going to have to set some things aside. Lord, if whatever you need, it's going to be set aside so that you can come in. But even in this service, you know, we fight our battles differently. We fulfill what God has called us to differently. And I just believe that it all flows together. And so I thought of the scripture in Philippians 3, verse 12, where it says that I might apprehend, or, you know, that's just a fancy word that means take hold of, that I might apprehend that for which I've been apprehended of by Jesus. You see, God's gotten a hold of each and every one of us. And actually, if he hasn't, but you're in this room or you're listening online, there's going to be a time at the end of the service when we're going to have uh, prayer uh, leaders up front. You can come forward, give your life to Christ. But, you know, I believe that we've got to be those who say, Lord, why did you take hold of me? 
Because Jesus didn't just go ahead and say, okay, you're in the kingdom, sit back, you've got another 70 years, just enjoy life and, you know, step back. No, he says, I've given you something to do. I've taken hold of you with a purpose. And we're going to see that unfold today. You know, it'd be nice if we said, oh, you know, here's your purpose. It's going to be easy. It's going to be natural. No, it isn't. And we're going to see that. But then we're also going to see, well, what are we going to do? In fact, the Lord brought me to Psalm 126, verse 5. And it says, those who sow in tears. I don't know if you're like this, but when I read my Bible, I really like to hear the voice of the Lord as I read it. And I underline and I circle things because God just kind of puts his highlighter there. And so, you know, there I am circling it. So in tears. That's kind of weird. That the watering system in the kingdom of God for purposes are tears. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth, and you know, I'm circling continually, because it doesn't mean, oh, you start out well, and it'll take care of itself. No, it's saying all the time, every day, we've got to be pursuing this continually. It says, he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You see, God has given each and every one of us a great purpose. But fulfilling it isn't necessarily natural, automatic, easy, you know, everything just going your way. That's not the way it is. And so we've continually got to sow into it, often with difficulties and weeping and tearing your hair out and all of these things. But I promise you something, and we're going to see it. That in the end, it's going to bring you joy. You're going to say, oh boy, was that worth it. And you're going to have great fruit. How do I know it's a promise? Because God himself says, doubtless. You don't need to doubt this. It's, it's a formula that works. But it's not going to be easy. You know, it's interesting. As I think about purpose and I think about, you know, continually sowing into it, You can't help but think about Jesus, right? And from the very beginning, I mean, his birth is supernatural, definitely with purpose. I mean, that was the most supernatural birth ever. But you know what? When we come to the Lord, it's very supernatural. And he gives us this purpose, which is amazing. And so we look at Jesus' life, and they give us a little snapshot of it in Luke chapter 2 when he's 12 years old. And his family says, you know what? As is our custom and our religion, we're going to go up to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. So off they go. They're celebrating. They're, you know, it's a holiday, all of these different things. And there's quite a big group of them from their town And the scriptures tell us that when it was over, they all headed back, and two or three days out from there, they discover Jesus isn't with them. He's 12 years old, but, you know, it was a big crowd. Probably everybody thought, oh, we must be with Uncle so-and-so, and and, he's over there. But now they've discovered, no, he really isn't here. And so they have to go all the way back to Jerusalem. And when they discover him, he is in the temple Learning from the teachers, and not only learning from the teachers, he has a few things to say as well. 
And so naturally, his parents are kind of upset. You know, your 12-year-old has been missing. And they say, what have you been doing? You know, we've been really worried about you. And he says something very interesting. Because I'm telling you today that God is putting a must in our spirit. And Jesus said, didn't you know? I must be about the Father's business. And you can jump ahead and you can, I mean, every story about Jesus is a must. But there's an interesting story in John chapter 4 where he says to his disciples, I mean, he has a full ministry agenda set out. You're going to go here, Jesus, then you're going to go here. You'll probably raise the dead. You know, this will happen, that'll happen. But Jesus says, you know what? And I, I love the King James the way it says it. It says, I must needs go to Samaria. And they're going like, what? Why are you going there? We don't like Samaria. The Jews don't interact with the Samaritans. Nothing about this is good. No, he says, I must go there. And so off he goes, and he encounters a woman at the well. And she even says, what in the world are you doing here, and why are you talking to me? I know that people like you don't talk to people like me. But Jesus begins to unfold a great revelation about worship. All sorts of things come out. He prophesies over her, sets her free. She's delivered on the spot. She goes back to her city. She tells everybody about Jesus. They all come out. Everybody's getting saved. So many things have happened. He must go because there was something to do there. But it's very interesting because his disciples then came to him. And they said, well, Jesus, you must be really hungry. And he says, I have food that you don't know of. So they began saying to one another, well, did somebody get him food? Like, what's this food that nobody knows about? And so Jesus says, my food is this, that I do the will of the Father, that I finish his work. I want you to know that God is going to put, and he desires to put, if you would desire it, a must in your spirit that you would begin to say, I must go. I must needs go over here. I must do this thing. Don't you know, I must be about the father's business because I have a purpose that God has given me. Even in the final week of his life, in John chapter 12, Jesus says, I mean, can you imagine this? Jesus, because he was a real man. You know, we can write it off and say, oh, well, you know, Jesus was God. No, he says, my soul is troubled. That meant he was upset. I mean, we could say depressed. He was troubled. And he says this, and I love that we can overhear his conversation you know, so that we can understand what his mind is thinking. And he says, well, what should I say? You know, he knew, because he was God, that he was dying that week. He knew that he was going to die on the cross, and that is not a real fun death. So his soul is troubled. That's natural. And he says, what should I do? Should I tell the Father, take this away? And Jesus says, no, I will not. Because he says, for this purpose, I came. 
You see, our purpose, the call of God that is on us, will enable us to get through difficulties, to endure some suffering, to be able to get through things because we have in our spirit a must. I must do this. How about the Apostle Paul? It's the same thing. You know, many times we cut to the end and we say, ah, Paul's ministry was so amazing. People were falling out of windows while he was teaching and preaching. And he'd say, hold on a minute. He'd go outside and he'd raise them from the dead. Okay, I'm back. I'll keep preaching. Or we say, you know, there's Peter. He's got a shadow. And people are racing to be in his shadow because just being in his shadow, you'd be healed. But, you know, I'm interested in the rest of the story. That in Acts chapter 14, we discover Paul is in Lystra. Oh, yeah, it starts good. He's preaching away. He notices a guy in the audience. He's been lame since birth. I mean, I'm telling you, that's a hard healing. You know, sometimes, oh, they have a headache. Oh, I think it's better. No, no. This person is lame from birth. And everybody knew it. But Paul notices, well, this guy has faith. So he says, hey, you, rise up. So the guy gets up, leaping and praising God. Oh, this is amazing. We want to put a period at the end of that sentence and say, there it is. There's my purpose. You know, I'm just going to go ahead and flow with this. But actually, if you read on in the story, right afterwards, you discover people were not happy about this at all. And so people actually from out of town who had seen him ministering out of town begin to stir up the people. So they begin to, they take him out of town and they begin to stone him. When I say begin, they actually finish. I believe he died there because it says in the scripture that they, when they thought he was dead, you know, they left. Well, then they leave the scene. He gets up, dusts himself off. But what does the scripture say? He goes back into Lystra. I mean, I think that's so powerful because you do that when there's a must in your spirit, when there's something bigger, when you realize, no, what the response, the persecution, the upset, the this, the that. No, it's the purpose that God has placed within us. You know, it's funny. The image I had as I was praying and preparing for today was, you know how sometimes you go to the movies And they pass out special glasses so you can see certain things. I just saw in the spirit. You know, let's spiritually put on some special glasses here. Because I'm going to share some things here that I believe can change your life. But we've got to see it in the scriptures. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would help us today to understand your word. Lord, I pray that you would touch each one who's here and who's listening online and will listen later, oh God. Lord, that we would develop that must in our spirit, that we would be those who would fulfill our purpose on purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. So today what I want to do is I want to share with you the story of Jeremiah's great purpose and how Jeremiah fulfilled it on purpose. You know, it's interesting. Many people, and I I don't know, I'm always intrigued with scriptures that people quote because a lot of times it's like, well, do you know the context of it? You know, it's great scripture, But do you know what else is there? Again, it's kind of like saying, okay, Paul, everybody's leaping and dancing, but let's not forget the stoning part. 
Well, Jeremiah, it's the same thing. A lot of people quote Jeremiah 1, verse 5, the scripture about Jeremiah's momentous destiny or purpose being ordained by God even from the womb. Even as each one of us has a significant destiny that God ordained from the womb. I mean, I love the pictures in the scripture. He says, I've knit you in the womb. It's like everything about us is purposefully done by God in order that we can be who God has called us to be. But today what I want to do is bring the full message of this verse. Take a look at what the context is. What does it mean to have a meaningful purpose? What did it mean in Jeremiah's life? And what does it mean for our lives? And so you can see the entirety of Jeremiah's message. You know, the teacher in me says, everybody, you all should read the entire book of Jeremiah. Because it's powerful. The whole thing is about this. But I'm just going to highlight a few verses. But I hope the hunger of the word comes and touches you. That you would go home and you would begin to say, I need to read this for myself and see what God would say. But we can see kind of the entirety of the call to the purpose in the first ten verses of chapter one. And so it begins and it says in verse one, chapter one of Jeremiah... The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Amathoth in the land of Benjamin. You see, right there, there's so many insights. I love it. You know, we can never just buzz through a verse and say, oh, well, I don't think there's anything. There. Oh, there's something in every verse. And so there's so much here. Jeremiah's name means appointed of Jehovah, the same way each one of us has been appointed by God. It's purposeful. You're who you are because God made you that way. He's the son of Hilkiah, which means portion of Jehovah. You see, the scriptures tell us that God gives the gifts severally as he wills, or he he doles them out as he desires, but everybody has something from the Lord that's supernatural. We've got a portion of God that we carry with us. And it says he was of the priests. Well, we're of the priests too. First Peter 2 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, and I love this, that you might proclaim the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I love that he lives in this town called Anathoth, which means answers to prayer. You see, we've got, to, when we talk about our purposes, we have to live in a place called answers to prayer. We've got to be praying. Why? Because there is an enemy who's a thief and a liar. And he will lie to us and tell us who we're not. And he will be very convincing, and he's got all the time in the world. But we need to live in this place so that we can hear the voice of God. And then the town of Anathoth was in the land of Benjamin, which Benjamin means the son of the right hand. You see, you've been birthed, if you know Jesus. And again, if you don't, you will, I hope, by the end, because we'll have a call. But you've been birthed as a son of the living God. You see, we're just like Jeremiah. And so it goes on in verse 2, and it says, To whom, to Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came. In the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, 
king of Judah in the 13th year of his reign. You see, Josiah was a good king. He was great. He was doing all sorts of reforms. He was casting down all sorts of idolatry. It was amazing. And Jeremiah's called to be a prophet under a good atmosphere. It was wonderful. His purpose stood in good times. But wait, verse 3 says, and I feel like this is the life story of us. You know, if, if every one of us had a life story, we'd say, well, it came here. But then verse 3, it came also. The call of God comes also when it's not so good. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah. So Jeremiah still had this call, not just under Josiah, but the next two kings. And those two kings were evil kings. And they worked against Jeremiah constantly. And it says, and this purpose that was on Jeremiah's life, not only was under these evil kings, it says, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. In other words, when Judah goes to um, Babylon, which was a really bad thing, the worst tragedy in Judah's history, Israel's history, no, you're still called to this. You see, sometimes we think, oh, the atmosphere isn't good. People don't seem to be, you know, I'm not in favor. I'll just kind of back up here. I'll be quiet. People don't want to hear what I have to say. But you see, Jeremiah's purpose stood either way. Good times, bad times, heading into captivity. Oh, it still stood. And look at this in verse 4. So bad times. And then it says, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb. This is why I love the scriptures. We quote that, but did we know that that word, we need to remind ourselves in bad times? It's not just good times. Yeah, everybody likes me, and I'm in favor. This is wonderful. God, you called me from the womb. No, it's when everybody doesn't like me that we need to begin to speak to ourselves. I must needs go to Samaria. I don't care if everybody around me doesn't get why I'm even going. Because you know what? I'm not making my decisions based on popularity. I'm also not going to take a vote. Because I must needs do. I must do the will of the Father in my life. And so the Lord knew the circumstances Jeremiah was going to face. And he's saying, no, no, I called you from the womb. You're going to make it through this, but you've got to do your purpose on purpose, Jeremiah. And so Jeremiah in verse 6 says, then said I, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. I'm just a youth. You see, we have all sorts of reasons why we think, oh, If you knew the big mistake, the sin in my past, this and that and the other thing, then you'd know why I can't do the purpose. No. Believe me, God already knows the whole story. And he's faithful to forgive us when we come to him and ask for forgiveness. So the purpose still stands, especially during difficult seasons, because it's the Lord who qualifies us. It's the Lord. In fact, you know, the scriptures tell us in the New Testament, you know, I'm kind of using these earthen vessels so that I can show you that the excellency is of God and not of man. 
I'm actually choosing to kind of mix things up a bit, God says, because everyone will know it's the Lord. In the Old Testament, it says, not by might, nor by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. So God's just looking for people who say yes. Here am I, Lord. Send me. I've got some bad credentials, but let me think for a minute. Nobody had worse credentials than Paul the Apostle. His was like totally the worst. His credentials were, I murder Christians. That doesn't sound like a good apostolic call. But it's the Lord who qualifies us, you know. And Paul learned that, you know, he... No doubt, because he talks about it three times throughout the book of Acts, hated what he used to do. But then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, Paul, he's writing to the church at Corinth, called to be an apostle by the will of the Lord. And it was like he just said, well, enough said. Yeah, that makes sense. But here's what God is called. And so it's not our own doing. It's not our own call, but it's the call that the Lord has placed on us. And it's who you are. And the devil is robbing us of our identity like never before. And I'm telling you right now, in my spirit, I say, oh, no, you don't. Because I'm going to be exactly who God has called me to be. And so in verse 7 of chapter 1, it says, but the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth. In other words, don't be giving me any excuses. I'm the one who gave you the purpose. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand, and he touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. You see, the Lord is going to give us what we need if we are willing. So Jeremiah's called in a really bad time to preach, but God says, you know what? I'm giving you the words. I'm touching your mouth. I'm the one who's going to enable you. It doesn't matter what else it looks like. And so in verse 10, it says, see, God is speaking to Jeremiah. He says, see, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. And look, look at the task, because we have the same call in our lives to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, but look at this, to build and to plant. God is releasing his people because there's a people who must be released, who would touch the earth, who would touch broken places, who would begin to say, I see you're in bondage, we're going to Break that down. We're going to root that thing out. But then we're also going to build and we're going to plant. But if we're going around, but I'm just a youth, or I had this in my past. I mean, I'm just telling you. I don't know. I challenge you. Is there anything worse than killing Christians to become over-Christians? I don't know. But I feel like if Paul could do it, then whatever you've got going on or in the past or last night... That God is saying today is the day to arise. Today is the day. Put those glasses on. He wants to put something in your spirit that begins to say, I must do this. I must do this. You see, 
the story of Jeremiah was that he was called to be a prophet to the nations. But, and I wish we had time to do it. We need to do a whole study on the book of Jeremiah. But in his life, when the times got difficult, when these evil kings were over him, he was chained up, he was thrown into prison, he was put into a pit, and many times, not just once, but many times, again, kind of like the Apostle Paul, he barely escaped death. I mean, nothing about fulfilling his purpose was easy or automatic. I think this gives me some insight over why Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Because it wasn't easy. And when we begin to think our purpose only stands when it's easy. I, I don't know who invented that. Like, you know, ooh, it just doesn't feel right. Look, I'm telling you, it doesn't. We don't operate that way. We operate by the truth. Not by how we feel. And Jeremiah, even in chapter 9, he says, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes would be rivers so that I could cry day and night. I mean, come on. He was sowing some tears. Many times, Jeremiah was in open conflict with these two evil kings. And the stories are all very interesting, but I'm just going to cut to the chase. He ended up getting officially, you know, king's stamp, uh, banned from any public appearances. I mean, that's pretty hard. He's called to be a preacher. It's like, mm-hmm. you can't get out there. You can't say anything. You, you can't do it. And... That is a really hard thing when you feel like your very essence of your purpose is the thing that's under conflict. Well, are we surprised? I mean, why would the enemy touch any other aspect? He wants to not have you work in the dimension of your purpose. And so sometimes we go, oh, but I can't do it. You don't understand. I've been banned from public speaking. You know, this could have been Jeremiah. And, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and go along with the flow and I'll live my life. No, he did not do that. In fact, what he did, he said, all right then, the Lord's given me a word. I literally cannot speak it. I'm chained up and I'm in prison. Aha, I know what I can do. I have an assistant. He knows how to write. You know, I always picture Jeremiah's hands tied here because he has the assistant write it. And so what he did, he dictated the message to his assistant who wrote it on a scroll. And we see here that the Lord commands him to do this. I want you to look at this because this is going to be a key for us. It says in Jeremiah 36, see I skipped a whole bunch of chapters, but it's all in there. Jeremiah 36, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Now remember, he's an evil king, after Josiah the good king, that this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, you know, I'm just going to stop there. Here we go. It's like God tells you to do something, and you think good and good and good. I mean, this is what happened. God said to Jeremiah, here's the word from me. Here we go. So God is saying, here's what you're going to do, Jeremiah. Take a scroll of a book and write on it all the words that I've spoken to you against Israel, against Judah, and against all the nations. From the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah, even to this day. In other words, this has been the message God has been speaking to Josiah all along. And I'm sure it was the message that got him banned. 
But now God is saying, it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which I purpose to bring upon them, that everyone may turn from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. I mean, God isn't saying it's guaranteed. He's saying, I'm going to have you do this, and it might work. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, his assistant, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll of a book at the instruction of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken to him. Look, we cannot be the kind of people who only do the purpose of God when our success is guaranteed. We can't do it. We can't only do it when we know we're going to be well received. I love that God said, well, it might be. I'm going to have you do this, Jeremiah, but I'm not exactly going to tell you. It might work out, but here's all the words. Write them all down. They're not going to like it one little bit. I'll promise you that. But it might be that they might turn. So, Jeremiah, this is what I want you to do. And so he does it. He did everything that the Lord requested. So what happens? A few verses later, Jeremiah 36, verse 22. Now, the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month. I mean, he's relaxing. He doesn't know what's coming. He doesn't believe Jeremiah. It's like, you know, he's just kind of resting. And there's a fire burning on the hearth before him. He's relaxing. And it happened when Jehudi, who was the king's assistant, had read three or four columns of the scroll that Jeremiah had Baruch write, that was all Jeremiah's words from the Lord, that the king cut it with the scribe's knife. Ooh, not so good of a reaction. You know, he spent all this time writing it out. And then after he cuts it with the knife, it says he cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I believe that there are some people who may feel like you tried this and it was as if it all burned up. But the answer's here. It says, now after the king had burned the scroll with the words which Baruch had written at the instruction of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. He just saw the whole thing literally go up or heard that it went up in a puff of smoke, saying, take yet another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. You see, God sees it all. But he says to Jeremiah, oh no, purpose still stands. It's not over yet. You're still going to do this. Despite the discouraging response, despite it all, You're in jail. It's burned up. God says, no, it's still there. It wasn't just the king who persecuted Jeremiah either. The the scriptures tell us his own family did in Jeremiah 12, verse 6. It says, for even your brothers, the house of your father, even they've dealt treacherously with you. Yes, they've called a multitude after you. Ah, Like, really? My family? They're calling people after me? Do not believe them even though they speak smooth words to you. His whole town of Anathoth, it tells us in Jeremiah, it says, therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth who seek your life. Wow. 
It also tells us in Jeremiah, we don't have time to go there, the entire nation of Judah turned against him. That a false prophet by the name of Hananiah rose up and began speaking the opposite words of Jeremiah, saying, thus says the Lord. I mean, wow, you've got to know that it's God who spoke to you. And really, much of the religious world turned against him because they didn't like what Jeremiah was saying. You see, again, we can't do things just because people want us to or they like it. We've got to have integrity before God. I loved the prayer point the other day that we could be people who value integrity. I mean, yeah, in the natural, but let's value integrity in God, that we would do those things that God has called us to do. And not only were all these people against him, God also asked Jeremiah to remain unmarried. It says in Jeremiah 16, the word of the Lord also came to me saying, you shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters. You know, why did he do that? I mean, that's harsh, that's difficult, but you know what? We all have circumstances that aren't comfortable. And we need to understand that we can't wait to fulfill our purposes until everything in our own heads is perfect. Well, I'll do it when I find my spouse, when I have my kids, when my kids grow up, when my kids graduate college, when they happily get married. Oh, here's the grandkids. I'll do it then. I mean, before you know it, you're going to be 90 years old. The time to fulfill the purpose of God is now. You've got to walk in it now and not later in our lives. Ultimately, Jeremiah did his purpose on purpose. And I I love this scripture because it shows us just how difficult it was for him. Have you been through difficult things? I've been through difficult things. I've sat there just kind of going, what? (laughs) What, Lord? What? And I feel like this is what you hear here in Jeremiah. It says in Jeremiah 20, verse 7, it says, Oh, Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You're stronger than I, and you've prevailed. But now look what he says. I'm in derision daily. In other words, everybody's mocking me every day. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Look at this. I mean, let's listen to this scripture because this is real. This is real ways we really live. Then said I, so Jeremiah is speaking, I will not make mention of him, of God, nor speak any more in his name. Have you ever come to that point? Hold on now. Next sentence. But. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back. And I could not. You see, when you put your purpose aside, you may think, God, I am so tired of that whole thing. I'm tired of not being responded to. I'm tired of doors being closed. I'm tired from A to Z. But I have news for you. You must be about the Father's business because your purpose stands like a fire in your bones. And if you don't go let it out, you're going to get weary. 
And so the scripture says, be not weary in well-doing, but in due time, you will reap. If you faint not, I'd rather be tired doing the things of God than get tired holding me back from doing the things of God. And so there's a powerful scripture. I don't have time to go into it. In fact, I preached a word on it two or three years ago from Jeremiah 32. But at this point of his life, God speaks to him and says, I want you to buy some land from your uncle in the land of Anathoth. This was as they're going into captivity. And Jeremiah was the one who prophesied and understood it was going to take decades to get back out. But God says, hey, buy some land here. It's a good deal. And so he has to pay a price to buy a place in Anathoth. And God says, because there's going to be houses again then there. There's going to be fields there. There's going to be a harvest there. Pay a price. You see, God is saying, we've got to pay a price to buy into the place called answered prayers in order to see our purpose come forth, no matter how the circumstances might look. And after Jeremiah bought the land, he makes a great proclamation. I hope these scriptures have come alive to you today. Because we quote them all the time, but here's the context. Jeremiah in 32, 17, after he buys the land, says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and our outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. When we pay a price for a piece of answered prayers, we're going to say, Lord, it defies description, but nothing is too hard for you. Because if God has called you, which he has, he's going to enable you. It tells us in Philippians 2 that it's God who works in you both to will or to want to and the ability to do of his good pleasure. So we've got to remember having a purpose isn't easy. Jesus, Paul, Jeremiah, they were all people of purpose, yet they had to sow some tears. They had to be willing to do that in order to accomplish their purposes on purpose. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know, we quote this all the time too, and we know that all things work together for good. Some people stop there, but that's not the end of the sentence. All things don't work together for good a lot of times, but in this case, they do. It says, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. God's going to work it out, but it's going to take some determination on our part. And I couldn't help but hear, echoing in my mind, Matthew 11 verse 12, where it says, from the time of John the Baptist or the ushering in of Jesus, until now. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. That word violence is the same word that's translated as force. The kingdom of heaven suffers force, and the forceful take it by force. You see, we've got to have a force within us that begins to say, I'm in this till the end. I can't explain it. I don't understand the circumstances, but I'm going to do it because it might just be 
that people will be touched. It might just be that that which God has called me to is going to make a difference. But all I know is it's a fire in my bones and I can't hold it back anymore. Oh, let our cry be. I did it on purpose. I might sow some tears in the process. 